Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Well, hey everyone, I have an amazing guest for you this week on Pushing the Limit. I have Dr. Jason Sonners with me from New New Jersey, um, New York, USA. He is a specialist in hyperbaric oxygen therapy and is currently doing a lot of clinical research with this. And we go into the a really deep dive into how uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy works, what it's about, um, some of the new research on how it can be having different effects um, on your epigenetics and um, the changes in pressure and transcription factors. And oh my gosh, we go into a, a super super deep dive. Uh, Dr. Jason is also the author of uh, Oxygen Under Pressure, a book that I really highly recommend that you guys go and get, and also has a YouTube channel called HBOT, H-B-O-T, USA. Um, yeah, H-B-O-T, USA.com is his website and his YouTube channel under the same name. So make sure you go and check those out. Before we head over to the interview with Dr. Jason, um, just want to remind you about our epigenetics program. If you are wanting to understand your genetics and how to optimize your environment, then please check out what we do, um, understanding what types of food to eat, what types of exercise, how you can influence your genes that you were given by your mum and dad, and what you can do to positively influence. It's like getting a user manual for your body. So that's our flagship sort of epigenetics program we've literally taken thousands of people through this program and it's a fantastic framework to give you an understanding on how to optimize your health um also like to remind you about my book relentless if you haven't read it yet please go and grab a copy on my website at lisatarmati.com and we also have our anti-aging and health supplements you can head over to nmnbio.nz for the latest in anti-aging and longevity uh, information, science, and the supplements over there. This company was founded by Dr. Alina Serenova, um, and the quality of the products is second to none. We have nicotinamide mononucleotide, we have quercetin, and we have TMG. Those are the three that we have at the moment, and there's more coming. We also have uh, another product that I'm very keen on sharing with you, and it's called Perfect Aminos by Dr. David Minkoff, who was also on this podcast earlier. Um, and you can head over to runninghotcoaching.com forward slash perfect aminos. Uh, and find out all about that information. Right, over to the show now with Dr. Jason Sonners. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Today, I'm super excited. I'm jumping out of my skin. I have Dr. Jason Sonners with me. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jason. Uh, thank you, Lisa. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Oh, just uh, you, you uh, have an amazing book that I'm in the middle of, and uh, you uh, are, are deep into the hyperbaric space. So today's episode is all going to be around um, hyperbaric, also your approach to health, because I think uh, your, your backstory uh, fascinated me and how you actually stumbled all, all into this. So can you give people a little bit of background before we get into hyperbaric, you know, uh, who you are and, and where you're situated and what you're doing? Sure. Yeah. So uh, basically, I mean, long story short, so my background was uh, exercise physiology and that kind of brought me into obviously exercise and, you know, personal training and training myself and other people and, and then working towards, you know, strength and conditioning coaching. Uh, that kind of eventually got me into chiropractic through my own actual, some, some injuries and issues that I had in my life. And um, I started to understand that, you know, not only do we have to exercise properly, but, you know, the, the framework of alignment and posture and all the pieces that kind of 
predispose the body to breaking down prematurely. And, you know, kind of where chiropractic fit the, the model of really trying to improve uh, that story. And so my wife and I were practicing uh, in New Jersey uh, for just a few years. And I ended up uh, herniating a disc in my lower back. I was uh, putting a roof on my house and, uh, you know, carrying shingles up and down a ladder and, uh, you know, ended up with a really bad uh, nerve damage to my right leg. And so my wife's also a chiropractor. So she was, you know, she was treating me. My back pain got better pretty quickly. My background in exercise physiology, I have a background in nutrition. So I'm eating the right things. I'm, I'm trying to rehab my way out of it. My wife is treating me, all the things that I knew to do. And I had helped so many other people with herniated discs that I figured, you know, I should have no problem. And yet, uh, 18 months later, I still had full drop foot in my right wow. leg. Wow, oh, that's terrible. And, Brutal. And I was actually, tra- we were training for triathlon at the time. So, you know, I, I could barely even walk, let alone, you know, be training properly. So uh, I kind of gave up on all of that. I thought, you know, I was frustrated, but I thought, you know, even though I was helping a lot of people for whatever reason, I couldn't, you know, figure myself out. And uh, I kept trying, but, you know, ultimately to no avail. Uh, I happened to be at a show or, you know, a chiropractic um, conference and they had, you know, lots of vendors of equipment. And one of the vendors happened to be a hyperbaric chamber. Mm-hmm. No clue what it was. It just looked cool. It was like this, you know. <laughs> like that thing in the background. Just people are getting in and out of it. It's pressurizing. It's making noise. I'm like, oh, it's cool. So, you know, they were doing sessions. So I did like a 30-minute session. And um, I got out, didn't think anything of it. And about 20 minutes later, I started getting uh, pins and needles in my foot. Wow. And I hadn't felt my foot in like 18 months at that point. So I'm like, wow, am I, am I feeling that in my foot because of that thing? I did? you know, what was that thing? I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> you know, so I went back to talk to the guy and, you know, explain the story. He's like, oh yeah, of course. That's, that's what this thing does. And I'm like, yeah, right. You just want me to buy one. You know? Yeah. yeah. I'm from New York originally. I don't trust anybody. So, you know, <laughs> so, you know, so anyway, so he agrees to doing a handful of sessions. So I did like uh, maybe eight hours or so over the course of four days. Wow. And I had about 20% improvement in my foot. And I thought, you know, I don't really know what this thing is, but after all this time, it's the only thing that's ever helped. And so I did buy one. I brought it home, treated myself, and I had full resolution of my that neuropathy. And so at that point, you know, I was obviously I was happy that I was getting better and, you know, so so grateful to, to have my, my leg back functioning. Uh, at the same time, though, I was so frustrated that I felt I've gotten so far through all my training and you and know, no one's told you that. No ever said that to me. You know, no one's like, hey, did you ever think about how, you know, it was like a total accident. And at the same time, it was the only thing that actually helped. And so that's what really got me interested in, in trying to not only understand it better, but implement it in my clinic and then help other people ultimately get access to it. You know, wow. That's a, that's a brilliant backstory because, you know, this is what I find with a lot of doctors in the, in the medical space, you know, as well as chiropractic and things, but when they have a personal situation where everything that they've learned and nothing's working, that's the time when people start to look outside the box. Because up until that point, you sort of think, well, I've got, you know, I've got this. <laughs> yeah, I help people every, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then all of a sudden, hang on a minute, this isn't working. Why isn't it working? <laughs> I've come across that quite a number of times. And um, hyperbaric, in my opinion, and, I, and my listeners know my backstory. I had a mum with a massive aneurysm and uh, massive brain damage, age seventy-four, never going to have any quality of life. No idea who she is, what she is, no control over anybody's functions. My desperate search to help her, I came across hyperbaric oxygen, and uh, it was it was the 
the cornerstone of her rehabilitation. And it was uh, not the only thing. And, and this is what I like about you too. You don't just go, okay, well, that's it. Now we've got this. And no, it was a multifaceted approach to her rehabilitation. And I don't have a medical background. I'm a bloody athlete for, for crying out loud. <laughs> but well, one thing I knew. You get enough of your own injuries to start becoming a, a doctor. <laughs> well, you, you do start to become a doctor of your own life anyway. And, you know, a, a deep dive into that, I ended up opening a hyperbaric oxygen therapy clinic myself. Um, had a huge success with my mum with it. Um, my mum's now, you know, 80 years old and perfectly healthy and um, another long story, we've been on a cancer journey, but she's also using hyperbaric for that. Uh, but we we came back from this massive brain injury to full health again. Uh, and at, at an age where you're not really meant to go forward with your brain, you know. Um, so I love hyperbaric. And you're at the cutting edge of this stuff. Like you've been doing what, what – first, first question – why the hell is this not in every single doctor's office and every single hospital and every single ICU around the world? Can you explain to me that? <laughs> We're working on that. <laughs> We're working on it somewhere. <laughs> you know, ultimately, it, it's really, initially it's political in that uh, there is a hyperbaric, there's a traditional hyperbaric world, let's say, and a, mm-hmm. and a non-traditional hyperbaric world. And in the traditional hyperbaric world, which is really, you know, I'd say hospital-based and geared. In the U.S., we talk about the 14 FDA-approved indications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's the wound healing, the gangrene, the necrotizing fascia, yeah. you know, certain, burn, certain like burns, but it has to be greater than 20% of your body. Yeah. You know, uh, anemia, but it has to be life-threatening and severe, you know. Meanwhile, it's like, well, would it work if the burn was only 5% of your body? It doesn't work, you know what I mean? Or would it work if you just had moderate anemia or does it have to be severe? You know, obviously, so... But it's all about the insurance game. And mm-hmm. so uh, really what, what happened in the, in the traditional model is that they get many, I'll just say many, many hundreds of dollars per hour. Where I live, it's a couple thousand dollars per hour per treatment. Wow. And so if you can collect a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars per hour, and then you have a patient who wants to pay you a hundred bucks or 200 bucks, mm-hmm. you know, you're actually at least here, you're not allowed to do that. You can't have two fee schedules. You can't charge insurance companies 2000 yeah. and charge patient 200. You, um, so it's kind of like you're either insurance-based or you're not. And for all these years, it's really, they've kept the amount of indications to, you know, it has not grown in you know, a decade or more. Yeah, and, um, and they really just keep it sort of, you know, private that way. Mm. And then with that came, you know, you know, all the myths we talk about. Well, don't you know that oxygen is dangerous? You can't use oxygen. You'll kill people with oxygen, you know? Meanwhile, I'm like, wait, what are, what are the alternatives here that we're talking yeah, about? Yeah. Let's talk about risk. Or, you know, um, well, there's not enough research to support that. So yeah. it doesn't actually work. Or, you know, and, and I'm not saying that those things aren't, you know, you could, oxygen could be dangerous. You just need to know how to use, just like anything else. You need to know how to use it, how to operate it properly, how to keep it within a safe means and make it effective. Yeah, there hasn't been as much research, let's say, on uh, post-stroke as there is on wound care, but the mechanisms make sense. And mm. we, use, we use medicine off-label yeah. every single day. Every doctor uses multiple medications off-label on a regular basis. But for some reason, when it came to oxygen, even, I mean, it's crazy, even for, let's say, like typical wound healing. You, you need like four to six weeks of increasingly strong antibiotics 
and then not actually respond to the antibiotics. And then you might get oxygen approved. <laughs> and if you do, it's going to probably work, but it takes that amount of effort and that just, amount of a delay, yeah. right? Imagine you're delaying person's care an extra six weeks. And yeah. I mean, you sure you understand this, but oh, yeah. the non-healing wound isn't because they're deficient in antibiotics. And so <laughs> if they get enough antibiotics, eventually it's going to heal. The, the healing capacity has something to do with the body regenerating. The antibiotic use has something to do with reducing the risk of infection while the body's healing, but it's not like the antibiotics actually improve a healing response. So, you know, it's, it's just a, a, it's a political issue right now, at least, you know, most places, especially in the U S and, but you know, the, there's been enough, and this is always true in medicine. It's not like the doctors are going to be the one, the insurance companies aren't going to be the one that increase the access and awareness. It's patient. Patients become, you know, avid. Like me, yeah. Uh, you know, Open a clinic. Like, I'm going to find whatever, whatever <laughs> I need to do. I'm going to find it. I'm going to, you know, and, and if enough people get fired up, it starts to drive a movement. And I think that's what you're seeing. That's what I've certainly what we're seeing here is that it's a movement driven by interest and awareness. You know, people learning about, wait, this seems like it makes sense. I know that oxygen is probably really important. I can only hold my breath for like a couple minutes. And uh, if I can get a little bit more oxygen, maybe I could heal a little bit faster. You know, it's, 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 to some extent, it's that simple. Um, and, you know, now all of a sudden we see this development. So, you know, we've set up or we, we, we helped set up probably, you know, almost 30 clinics in the last year and a half. Alone. Gosh, well uh, done. Amazing. Every month it's like more and more, you know, we've, we, uh, we started, I, I, I teach with uh, Dr. Dottori also. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and so, uh, you know, he, and I, he has a, you know, training uh, organization, the International Board of Undersea Medicine. So I'm, I'm on their faculty. We train. So like, you know, we opened up the doors to, to starting to train more people. You know, I think we, we, we trained about 175 um, different people, you know, last year alone. So, you know, it's, Gosh, it's getting, it's it's getting not on every, not in every city, not in every town, but, uh, yeah, but, Dr. But Joe was. was on this podcast for everyone listening. Go go and listen to that episode as well because he's, he's he's hilarious and he's a legend, yeah, that guy, yeah. <laughs> absolute legend. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just a grassroots movement, basically, isn't it? One yeah. by one, because let's go back then and now, because yeah, I mean the medical system and the political system of of, of hyperbaric, but every area. It's just, yeah, let's not go there because it's a mess. <laughs> and the reason I do this show is that I want people to take control of their own health journeys because they have to be uh, understanding that they need to take control if they want to get the latest in research and if they want to understand that, you know, there's a lot of uh, influencing factors over what they decide to actually give you. And you need to go and do your own research so that you don't get pushed into something you don't need or miss out on something you do need. Yeah. Um, so hyperbaric, let's go and explain the mechanisms and, and tell me why, Jason, why is this such a panacea type of therapy? And this is something else that gets a lot of people, but how can it be good for that plus that plus that plus that plus that? Because we're yeah. used to this, you know, this pill for that, that therapy for that, this, you know, and this is a panacea. It's too good to be true. Yeah. And, you know, I think that gets us in trouble because, when we talk about it that way, which, you know, most of us do, because it's like, oh my God, it helped this. It helped there it this. is. <laughs> um, it's like, yeah, there's, it, it, it is, it's too, there is not one thing that can do so many, you know, help so many different conditions. But what I tell people, and this might not sound fabulous, but like, 
it doesn't cure anything. It just helps with so many things because virtually every cell in your body, except for red blood cells, red blood cells carry oxygen. So they don't use oxygen. Every other cell in your body uses oxygen as part of its mechanism for making energy. And there are a multitude of reasons, inflammation, uh, old injuries, new injuries, you know, whatever kind of damage we get, you know, inside of our bodies, inside of ourselves, where all of a sudden there's a certain area in your body that's not getting enough oxygen. And then that, that tissue starts to downregulate mm. and eventually become dormant or completely actually become necrotic and, and that tissue can actually die. And what people don't understand is right now, like I'm at sea level right now, you know, if I put one of those pulse oximeters on my finger, mm. I'm a hundred, Virtually, I'm 100% saturated right now. Yeah. Which means that I'm literally getting as much oxygen into my body as I possibly can. And I'm 100% saturated, but that doesn't mean I have all the oxygen I, I might need to heal or all the oxygen I might need to, uh, to fuel a certain system. Mm. A good example would be, you know, I crush injuries or, or catastrophic injuries where, you know, you break, you know, muscle, ligament, tendon, bone, cartilage, you know, literally you destroy, you know, a whole area. So we can have a crush injury on my, my left arm, right? And I could put, and, and you might say, well, with a crush injury, there's lots of hypoxia because there's all this damage to the capillaries. But if I put a pulse oximeter on my finger, you've still got 99% saturated, right? Yeah. yeah. And so that means that I could have an area of hypoxia but I'm still not able to get any more oxygen than I need. But gosh, if I could, wouldn't I push that oxygen into an area that was suffering? And, and really, unless we use something like a hyperbaric chamber, there's literally no other alternative to getting oxygen to that area. Another way to look at it would be, you know, the body is constantly uh, changing where blood is flowing. In other words, if we were going to sit here and, and, well, we're sitting here to talk, right? So we're thinking and we're talking. So a lot of blood flow is going to our brain, to our mouth, right? If we were going to, you know, do some complex physics, you know, we get even more blood flow going to our brain. And then if all of a sudden we ate a big meal, all the blood would leave our brain and go into our gut because we need oxygen and, you know, the fuel to start digesting. And all of a sudden, if there was a fire in this building and I had to run out, all that blood would have to go to my legs so I can get the oxygen working to my working muscles and get out of the building. So again, at a hundred percent saturation, which is the most amount of oxygen I could possibly have, I'm still always redirecting where the oxygen needs to go based on what tissues are working the hardest. And so that means that there's never really a surplus. And if there's never really a surplus, we don't have a reservoir of oxygen to tap into and pull out and stick somewhere when we need to heal or regenerate and, you know, TBI or post-stroke or those crush injuries where, you know, you're getting all the oxygen you can, but you're still not going to heal properly. That's when dumping, or I should say, creating a reservoir of oxygen, really getting more oxygen absorption into our body could feed those tissues. And that's really the, the, the special thing that it does. So the, when the oxygen is under pressure, so you're under pressure, you're under the equivalent of being X amount of meters underwater. So it feels like more pressure. So um, 
and, and you feel it in your ears, you don't really feel it in anywhere else when you're actually in there. But this is compressing the oxygen molecules, so they're actually smaller and, and they actually dissolve into the tissues and the plasma. That's that's what's happening, isn't it? Um, yeah, and that's sure. why it can get through like the blood-brain barrier and places that are difficult, crush injuries, like you say, or wounds that pour perfusion of blood where the red because the red blood cell is quite a big fat juicy thing and it can't fit in to places where there's a a, a damage or through the blood brain barrier there's a reason that's kept separate but you when you do the hyperbaric and you're under that pressure correct me if I'm wrong you, you you're compressing the oxygen down and you're getting it through into those areas and then are you when you say you can store the oxygen you don't mean that you're storing it for you know use for later on. It's it's just a, a it's it's creating a reservoir, but that reservoir will be used in the next you know ten hours or less, basically. You know, okay, that long, uh, wow. But here, here's what the the real the easy way to understand it, I think, is uh, when you go above sea level, you know, so you go hiking in a mountain, or for us, we go to Denver. It's a mile high. Okay. It, it feels like it's harder to breathe when you're oh, at yeah. elevation. And the reason is not because there's less oxygen. Air is always 21% oxygen. It's that you lose pressure. And as you go away from sea level and there's pressure is lost, the force of pushing the oxygen into your circulation is also lost. Wow. I never thought about it. So, I thought it was actually less oxygen up at that level. Right. So it's less like uh, because of less pressure, the oxygen molecules spread out. Right. So when you take a breath in, you don't get as many molecules right. per breath and you lose the driving force of it going into your circulation. At sea level, it's the exact amount of pressure we need to saturate at 100% roughly. But as we go below sea level, all we're doing is we're increasing that pressure gradient, which means every time I breathe in, I'm getting more oxygen in my lungs each breath. and that's increasing the, the force, the gradient, to get that oxygen into my circulation. Now, normally, as quickly as oxygen goes into circulation, a red blood cell picks it up and carries it wherever it's going to go. And so there's only so many red blood cells and only so much oxygen we can get in. Now we're dissolving so much in hyperbarics. We're dissolving so much more oxygen that, you know, we, yeah, we're filling those red blood cells and they're carrying it, but we can, we're, we're putting in far more oxygen than what the capacity for red blood cells is to carry. And so it just stays in the liquid. And to your point, if you're inflamed, if you have clogged arteries, you know, broken blood vessels, you know, damage to the microcirculation, especially things like TBI and stroke to the brain, mm -hmm. red blood cells can't get to that tissue because of that damage, but the liquid always can. Yeah. And now the liquid normally, like right now, the liquid portion of our blood has very little oxygen, has about you know, 0.3 milliliters per 100 milliliters of blood. But, you know, we can have 20 times more of that in, in hyperbaric conditions. And now because there's oxygen in the liquid and the liquid can go everywhere, now we can get oxygen to that starving area and actually heal or, or wake it up. Or, or Wow. And, and then let's talk about a little bit the mechanisms of action. Once it, that oxygen, that increased amount of oxygen is delivered to those places, we, we're attacking the inflammatory pathways. We're producing more stem cells. Uh, uh, what's actually going on in, in from, from that perspective? And why, why is inflammation, and you put this so beautifully in your book, which we'll link to in the, in the show notes, um, 
why is inflammation such a two a double edged sword? You know, uh, and, and, and inflammation happens in, in you know so many instances. It's not just a trauma; it's the chronic inflammation that we're we're talking about as well here. Um, can you just explain the mechanisms where, you know, uh, the stem cells, the inflammation, what's it actually doing in there? So I'd say there's there's two ways I look at it. One is there's a there's a mechanical component to hyperbaric where uh, inside your cell is your mitochondria, right? And your mitochondria is the is the part of your cell literally that makes energy. Okay. So at the end of the day, all the food you eat turns into a thing called NAD. Mm-hmm. Right? NAD has to get oxidized, and oxygen is the mechanism by which we oxidize our fuel, just like your engine. You put fuel in your engine, it mixes it with oxygen, it creates a a, a spark, you know, an explosion that creates power. Our cells do the same thing. We bring fuel in, we oxidize it, and then that creates power for our cells. We call that ATP inside of our cell. Mm-hmm. When you can get more oxygen into the cell, you can burn a hotter, more powerful engine. You can burn more, you know, create more ATP. So mm-hmm. the mechanical side of hyperbaric is more oxygen equals, you know, ultimately more ATP production. Okay. So that's like part of the oxygenation and that's like all the mechanical benefits and that happens like immediately as soon as you're in there it's happening every session okay that's part of like the short-term benefits of hyperbaric the long-term benefits of hyperbaric are things like immune system upregulation stem cell release angiogenesis like rebuilding the blood vessels that are all broken and damaged um so those are all the long-term and the long-term effects happen because of cell signaling so when you're inside the chamber, you get all this extra oxygen. When you get out of the chamber, it starts to bubble out of your body. When you go back in, it fills it back up. And then when you get back out, it bubbles up. Just like a bottle of seltzer. When you open the seltzer, there's like yep. a... Like a Coke right? can. Yep. Right. So all this air is coming out. That happens inside of our body too, but it's not when a weight. When out. When you get out. And when you get out and that oxygen's coming out, it's not, it's not leaving your body. It's leaving circulation and it's literally feeding all of your cells. Why isn't that like the beans? Like in my brain, that goes like, you know, hyperbarics was originally invented for, for divers who have that problem. The gas is coming out too quickly and expanding too quickly. So in this, in this instance, because we're not going to extreme levels, is it not damaging in that respect when it does? Right. The, the bends is all about nitrogen and how much nitrogen you're getting. Mm depending on your setup with hyperbaric, you might be getting some nitrogen, you might be getting more or more oxygen. Uh, so ultimately, depending on how deep you go and how quickly you come up, that determines like how quickly those bubbles come out. Yep. Oxygen bubbles are not dangerous at all. Oxygen uh, bubbles could never cause the bends or any problems. Right. Oxygen bubbles come up and are immediately metabolized by your cells. Wow. Nitrogen bubbles have nowhere to go. And nitrogen bubbles that come up start to block blood vessels and start to choke out arteries and capillaries. Wow. And that's where the bends comes in. Now, let's say the chamber behind you is is not deep enough historically yep. that we're concerned about what nitrogen load you're gonna get. In some cases, I don't know if you use enriched oxygen or not, but if yeah. you're using if you're using enriched oxygen, mm-hmm. every percentage of oxygen you're getting is mm-hmm. a percentage less of nitrogen that you're getting. Yeah. And so in, in most hyperbaric environments, you're getting a very, very, in, in most diving, you know, scuba diving, you're getting enormous amounts of nitrogen. Right. And most hyperbaric environments, you're getting almost no nitrogen. And so we're not quite as concerned with that. 
I still talk about bubbles because it is gas. Yeah. It's in and liquid. it is coming out. But oxygen not, is a very safe gas for that to happen to. When I get out of the hyperbaric, is should I be doing it slowly or, you know, like is, I mean, there, is there a reason to release it slowly as opposed to just opening it and letting it all out? You know, you still want, I mean, just from a comfort standpoint, coming up at like, you know, from that depth, usually, you know, three to five one minutes. Point, yeah. Three, so it's uh, 1.5 atmospheres, for example. Um, so... <laughs> Because uh, uh, anyway, what I was interested in your research when I, I read Dr. Merkel's story with you um, article, and you said it, it's the change and it's the getting out that also has this uh, effect. Because in my, from my research, my understanding, it was all about the time that you were in the hyperbaric, where you're hyperoxygenating the body, and that's when all the results were coming. But you're so that, like, that the, plus the mitochondrial side. Oh, yeah, totally. It's all that. But I think, and again, the research is young yet on this, yeah. but when you're getting out and the oxygen is starting to come out of circulation and interact, the body actually thinks it's becoming hypoxic. Uh-huh. It's not. It's not actual hypoxia. It's mm. just relative hypoxia compared to the amount of oxygen you were just getting inside. Yeah. And that seems to be a, a chemical stimulant. That's the thing that actually drives the stem cell drives the angiogenesis, wow. all the growth factors. It's from, you know, increasing the oxygen, having it come out, increasing the oxygen, having it come out. That cycle of hyperoxygenation back to normal creates a, a very similar hypoxic type st- um, signaling. Wow. And that's the, that seems to be the biggest driver for all. So that's things. new research, isn't it? Because when I, you know, researched this years ago, that wasn't known or not, no one discussed that. Just interrupting the program briefly to let you know that we have a new patron program for the podcast. Now, if you enjoy pushing the limits, if you get great value out of it, we would love you to come and join our patron membership program. We've been doing this now for five and a half years and we need your help to keep it on air. It's been a public service free for everybody and we want to keep it that way. But to do that, we need like-minded souls who are on this mission with us to help us out. So if you're interested in becoming a patron for Pushing the Limits podcast, then check out everything on patron.lisatarmaty.com. That's P-A-T-R-O-N dot lisatarmaty.com. We have two patron levels to choose from. You can do it for as little as $7 a month, New Zealand, or $15 a month if you really want to support us. So we we are grateful if you do. There are so many membership benefits you're going to get if you join us. Everything from workbooks for all the podcasts, the strength guide for runners, uh, the power to vote on future episodes, uh, webinars that we're going to be holding, all of my documentaries and much, much more. So check out all the details, patron.lisatamati.com and thanks very much for joining us. When you get out, sometimes I get a sort of a, like I'm quite exhausted when I get out. Uh, what's going on there? Like, because in my mind as an athlete, I'm getting more oxygen. I should I should go and train after my hyperbaric, you know, like I've got more oxygen. I can probably run faster. <laughs> um, and that's not wrong. And that's not wrong. You know, usually, so if when we're working with athletes, we, we'll do shorter sessions, like 20-minute, 30-minute sessions sometimes mm-hmm. as like a little boost. Because the longer you are in there, and I wouldn't say it's, uh, if you had to run, even after an hour or longer, you'd be fine. But it's such a, it's a, you know, the sympathetic, parasympathic balance. Yep. Yep. 
uh, hyperbaric seems to really increase parasympathetic tone. Oh, that's good. So like when you're <laughs> stressed out or when your body is stressed from training really hard and, you know, you heal when you're in your parasympathetics. That's why we heal while wow. we're Okay. And so when your parasympathetics start to get driven, you feel very relaxed. Slow down, yeah. Like and- not, you know, not ready to, not feeling like you're wanting to go, you know, run 26 miles through a desert or something. So. Exactly. Because <laughs> that's what I've always liked, you know, and some people seem to have almost a detox response to it. And other people are, oh, I'm energized and ready to rumble when they get out. And I, I, I do mine at the end of the day because I do find that the next hour or so I'm like struggling a little bit with my blood pressure as well. Is that a thing or is that uh, just? And parasympathetic. You're, you're just, just you're really, you're ready for bed, basically. Really, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do most of mine. Most people, if you're doing longer sessions, most people get very relaxed. And I think doing it in the evening is great because it usually sets people up for a great night. Perfect. Mm. Uh, other people, there are, I'd say it's definitely the minority, maybe 30% of people get stimulated, um, in which case, obviously, at night wouldn't be the time to use it. You know, the morning would be better. But And that uh, may be in the shorter sessions, if they were doing a shorter, like you said, if it's a longer, it's more likely to have that parasympathetic drive take over. Ah, and it, it, now let's go into some of the uh, ailments that it helps with. So that we, you know, like cover off some of the what, what uh, obviously stroke and aneurysms, <laughs> brain damage, concussions uh, from the medical, you know, what's accepted. It's ga- gangrene, um, embolisms, uh, carbon monoxide po- poisoning. What else can this uh, be beneficial for? Yeah. So what what we try to do, especially when we're teaching this stuff, is because the research is growing, but it's not as deep as it is in some of these other. Um, conditions. Yep. If we look at the research of all the things that are very well accepted, and then we start to understand why is it working in those areas, then it could make sense that we actually take that and apply it to something of similar pathology. As an example, uh, it works great for necrotizing fasciitis and gangrene. These are anaerobic infections, and the, the high pressure and the high oxygen seems to, number one, reduce the activity of the microbe it might also help to kill the microbe or and or helps um break down the biofilms that a lot of anaerobic um organisms seem to like you know hide hide themselves under yeah and or it helps to there's a synergy between hyperbaric and antibiotics so if you did end up on antibiotics you know there's a uh, hyperbaric helps improve the strength or the the capacity for the antibiotic to do its work so there's an entire a category of let's say killing infection from a aerobic anaerobic type of mechanism so there are other anaerobic infections that might work great like lyme or certain molds or you know c diff or h pylori these are common infections that people have that theoretically for the same reason that it helps with certain conditions it should help now gangrene or necrotizing fasciitis you're literally about to lose your limb or your life in a matter of days. And so we have to be very aggressive with the hyperbaric in order to get that to work. Now, H. pylori, you're not going to die. You know, C. diff, you're probably not going to die, but you could certainly use this still as a tool to help recovery. So, you know, there's an entire category of infection that way. There's also another category of infection from the body uses the reactive oxygen species that, mm-hmm. you know, sort mm-hmm. of a bio- we produce. Yep. And 
the white blood cells get more energized to actually fight infection too. So not only is it helping to kill the anaerobic infections, but you know, your white blood cells use reactive oxygen species to kill infections, especially bacteria, but especially viruses too. So uh, oh, there's wow. a antiviral component. There's a whole anti, you know, let's say antimicrobial or bacterial component to that. And then um, the angiogenesis, anywhere that there's inflammation, anywhere where there's damage to, you know, old injuries, new injuries, but that's the strokes, the TBIs, you know, all the, most of the neuropathies, you know, diabetic neuropathy is something we understand really well. The damage to the circulation leads to nerve damage. And ultimately the nerves are starving for oxygen. So when we start dumping oxygen into the system, we can heal diabetic neuropathy. Well, I had a neuropathy too. It was from a disc herniation and it helped that. My stepdad had MS. That's a neuropathy, totally different mechanism. It's yeah. autoimmune disease, but similar in that it helps, you know, rebuild, you know, membranes and myelin, but it also helps to, you know, feed the nerves. The so modern neurons, ALS, have you, have you seen any research uh, around modern neurons disease and ALS or MS? Very little, there's very little research on that. Um, we but it makes sense from a... Right. And we use it in the office and we, you know, other, you know, other offices that we consult with. And, you know, a lot of these are, are certain conditions like, let's say, uh, post stroke or TBI. If there was a singular event that caused damage and it's not a continuing process, when you heal, you heal and you get to keep the benefits. If it's an ongoing process like an ALS or an MS, you know, you have to be very aggressive typically with that. And then if you get some good changes, but now you have to maintain some amount in your system because the disease itself is continuing. So a daily use. And so there's got to be some sort of maintenance, whether it's, you know, daily or a few times a week, whatever it's, it's different for everybody. But, you know, the way we think about it that way is to say when there's trauma and you have to heal, it's a series of treatments, you get the benefits and then you keep them. Mm. If it's an autoimmune disease or neurodegenerative disease that has this capacity to keep going, yeah, we can make a big dent in that. We can help people a lot. And then we probably need some amount of maintenance on a, on a regular basis just to help you know, keep it. That, that makes a whole lot of sense because you've still got that, that that disease process probably going on where it's degenerating. Um, and on the, on the immune system front, so improving the immune system, um, helping the white blood cells. As, as we get older, our immune systems, you know, tend to go awry. We often have people with autoimmune diseases. Um, so from a, from the reactive oxygen species, this is always something that I've always struggled to get my head around, like reactive oxygen species. Generally, you know, we, we think of these as bad things, ping pong balls going around stealing electrons and damaging the, the cell and the mitochondria and so on. But there is a place for reactive oxygen species in certain uh, situations like uh, when you're finding cancer, for example, you want to be shooting down the wrong, you know, the bad, the bad, uh, bad stuff. So does hyperbaric uh, cause an oxidative stress? Because this is an oxidative medicine along with say things like intravenous vitamin C and UVBI and uh, ozone therapy. These are all part of the oxidative uh, family of medicines. Can you explain that to me a little bit so that we can understand the relationship there of, of what, when is reactive oxygen species good or oxidative stress good versus when it's not good? Yeah. So, and that's a great question. And that's something that especially <laughs> recently keeps coming up because it, you know, for the last 20 years, we've talked about, you know, we're all dying because of oxidative stress. 
And there are these things that cause oxidative stress, but they also seem to help us. So clearly we're missing something. And so I think a couple things. One, like everything else, it needs to be in balance. That's number one. Number two is there is an entire, um, there's a whole side of cell signaling that occurs from reactive oxygen species that help promote uh, cell turnover or uh, help stimulate your, your body's own, you know, we have, uh, we could take antioxidants like supplements or eat certain mm-hmm. foods, right? But our body has its own intrinsic ability to deal with free radicals, its own antioxidant system. Superoxide dismutase is a big yep. part of that. Yep. Glutathione is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And so here's what it seems to be. Uh, and, and actually, uh, Dominic D'Agostino wrote a great paper on him and Angela Poff on mm some of the reactive oxygen species with regard to hyperbaric and, and some of the signaling. So definitely check that out. Or if you, if you want, I'll send you a link to that. Yes, so please. Can... I'll stick it in the show notes. And yeah. Um, but, you know, in that paper, especially they talk about, you know, all the benefits of, of reactive oxygen species from a hormonal signaling standpoint or a transmitter signaling standpoint, cell regeneration and repair standpoint. So like we need, we need a little bit of damage in order to cause some healing, right? That's that's literally that's what it's all about, right? Mimesis, that's what yeah. is all about. Yeah. It's, all, it's all about enough damage to stimulate, improve, and change, but not so much so that it pushes you too far. So what seems to be is this. When you're oxidized by your outside environment, right? You're smoking, you're drinking, you're sleeping on your, your, your Wi-Fi router, you know, or phone, <laughs> you know, whatever. All the things in our environment that oxidize us, it can strip us of all of our antioxidants for sure. And that would cause, you know, the, the consequences of oxidation are things like, you know, cell membrane breaking down, nuclear membrane breaking down, mitochondrial membrane breaking down, DNA, mm-hmm. epigenetic damage. I mean, it's, it's real. It causes yeah. a lot of issues uh, cellularly. So when we're, when we're being oxidized from our outside environment, it just, it destroys our cells. Definitely true. And taking, you know, your body tries to defend and then we might add some antioxidants, whatever. The oxidation that comes from hyperbaric comes from the increase in mitochondrial performance. So mm-hmm. as your cells are making energy and they, producing ATP, yep. a byproduct of that it is rough. a little yeah. bit of, you know, superoxide is what it's called. And so what seems to be is when your body is creating it, that is the stimulus to increase your own SOD and your own glutathione. Yep. So if you do it, just like exercise, right? You shouldn't run 26 miles if you've never even ran a mile. Mm. You would build up to that and you would cause stress, heal, cause stress, heal, and get stronger and be able to do that. So, and especially for people who are very oxidatively fragile, let's say, yep. you know, you can expose them to small amounts of hyperbaric, build up their tolerance for it, get their SOD and glutathione systems upregulated, expose them to a little bit more, get it more upregulated, expose them to more. And, and over time, not only will they tolerate hyperbaric, they'll also start to be able to tolerate their environment better because they'll have a greater capacity internally to deal with the oxidation in their life in the outside world that they have less control of. Wow. That makes just so much sense to me now. Like, cause it's, it's always been this battle and said, you know, definitely dealing with mum with a, a cancer, you know, in the last eight months and doing in the research of, of, of hyperbaric oxygen therapy in conjunction with ketogenic diet and off-label drug combinations and metabolic approach to cancer in, in its entirety. Um, and, but trying to understand the, the role 
because with, with someone like cancer, you don't put glutathione in the mix because that can upregulate the the things we don't want. Um, so it's a very, it's almost turned to, for me, you know, um, everything on its head because everything that I knew was healthy for me as a person that hasn't got cancer or an issue with cancer versus someone who has got cancer is very different. So different supplements in the mix, different protocols in the mix. Uh, and then every every cancer is different and you need, you know, personalised thing. But there's massive amount of, of research now around cancer and hyperbaric, um, which is really fantastic. And Dom's actually been at the sort of the cutting edge of that sort of research in conjunction with a ketogenic diet, which I have my mum personally on, on a regime of a very strict keto diet, exogenous ketones, off-label drug combinations, daily hyperbaric, intravenous vitamin C, ozone, in 12 weeks, we got rid of the, you know, she was said to be terminal. We should be gone by Christmas, last Christmas. Now we don't have any tumours. She's um, she's looking bloody good. I want to touch wood, you know, because um, it can always change. And the you know, metabolism cancer is a tricky beast and it can always change. But that that combo <laughs> of things has seemed to work for her. And, and uh, so I'm very, very excited by this whole uh, realm of of, of um, you know, research and so on. So, so basically, when someone is is starting out, and if they are fragile, if they're elderly, if they've got some major thing, you start off with a smaller dose. You work them up to, you know, uh, being able to deal. That. That's what you do. Yeah, and and obviously, everybody needs a personalized protocol made for them in their specific thing. Can actually people come to you as t- over you know teleconsults and things nowadays if they are listening to this and they're in New Zealand or Australia or somewhere um, in development. We work with patients all over the world. Fantastic. Um, Because you can often get access to a hyperbaric in your town, but you can't get access to Dr. Jason, you know, like someone who has this degree of knowledge around all the nuances of developing a protocol, which would be hugely beneficial, I think, for people. Yeah, I mean, the tool is amazing. The application of the tool is where, you know, I think it's, there are places or times where people just sort of, you know, whether it's hyperbaric or other things, sauna, you know, it's like, oh, it's interesting. I'm healthy. There's nothing I'm really working on. I just, I, you know, I have some sense that this might be good for me. So I choose to periodically put it in part as part of my life. You know, hyperbaric's not something that's likely to cause any problems for people. And it's generally very healthy and, and used in some amount is, is, is relatively, is, is considered relatively safe. But when you're dealing like what you're describing in terms of, you know, someone's got some pretty serious health concerns and, you know, they're mixing and matching a lot of different therapies together. That's where protocols start to become, you know, really, really critical. Yeah. That we're not over oxidizing or putting the right pieces at the right time. Or, you know, maybe they're doing some traditional therapies along with some non-traditional therapies. Yeah. How, how bring track, how we, you know, that's the kind of stuff. That's where the details become, I think. Yeah. The devils and the detail, and that's where you, yeah, developing a protocol personally with with someone like yourself would be would be super valuable, uh, not just chucking every <laughs> biohacker styles, <laughs> which I do on myself. But um, <laughs> um, now in your in your book, you talked a little bit about molecular hydrogen. This was uh, something new to me. Can you explain why why um, yeah molecular hydrogen in in combination with hyperbaric? What what's going on there? What what does that do? Uh, so uh, the the quick summary of that would be a couple things. One is that molecular hydrogen is technically not an antioxidant, but it has antioxidant like uh, 
um, capacity. And it will tend to not over, because you could, just like you could have, be over oxidized, you could get too many antioxidants. Right? Yep. We don't want to quench the whole system. We were just nope. talking about how oxidation is important. So molecular hydrogen has a way to reduce excessive oxidation without completely you know, putting out the whole fire, so to speak. And so mm. I like to use it in, a, in times where we want to have some effect, but I don't really want to, I don't want to blanket the whole uh, oxidative, you know, capacity of the chamber. But also, you know, the whole, when you get back into, you know, when we were talking about the engine, the combustion of the engine, the byproducts of combustion are carbon dioxide and water. And ultimately, so you take, you take gasoline, you mix it with oxygen, it makes power in the engine, and then out the exhaust should be carbon dioxide and water. But as we know, there's other chemicals like carbon monoxide that comes out of a car. That's because the engine doesn't burn everything completely. So it's called incomplete combustion. Mm -hmm. Your body is the same way. You're bringing in fuel, you're oxidizing, and that's making the power of the energy. Sometimes we get incomplete combustion in our cells, and that becomes superoxide. That's the free radical we were talking about earlier. The, the efficiency of the mitochondria, how well the mitochondria can make energy, ATP, will also help determine how much superoxide is released. And so oxygen plays a big role in that. But at the end of the day, your cells' waste products are also carbon dioxide and water. Mm-hmm. And so inside the mitochondria, you're going to actually take excessive oxygen and you're going to mix it with some excessive hydrogen. And that's going to help make more water so that you're not getting as much free radical production. Wow. So it helps to, you know, helps to deal with some of that. And hydrogen, long story, but hydrogen is ultimately one of the main mechanisms for ATP production in itself. So oh, okay. it, helps to, it helps to create more energy in the mitochondria, especially mixed with oxygen. And then it helps reduce, I think, the free radical load um, by turning more of the free radical oxygen, the superoxide, into water so that it's a safer waste product to get out of your body. Gosh, yes. Yeah. Um, the, the, oh, okay, that's some deep science there. <laughs> Are there any research? Oh, yeah. yeah, I might listen to that two or three times before I get that. But um, I was, on, Paul, I'll draw a picture for you too. <laughs> It'll make more sense. <laughs> the superoxide dismutase and all of that sort of stuff I'm sort of getting. but um, So that was a fascinating thing for me to, 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 to learn as well. Um, can we just touch briefly on the, the C19, the, the the elephant in the room that's been with us and d- destroying our world for the last couple of years um, without getting, you know, political, but and understanding that research is ongoing and, and so on and so forth, um, all the caveats that go along with when you talk about anything in relation to that. But are you seeing a benefit with hyperbaric um, and how can we think about the mechanism of, with which that could be functioning and working for people? Sure. You sure you don't want to get political? <laughs> I'd love to. Uh, <laughs> Offline. Maybe, maybe difficult. Um, so in the early, early COVID days, there was, uh, there was a, a huge interest amongst like-minded, let's say, people in position, in good positions in healthcare that I, you know, we were out on phone calls from like Ireland and England and Scotland and with the U.S. and, you know, where people were really trying to figure this out, right? What is this COVID and why are people like, what's with this oxygen saturation dropping? And, you know, we, you know, I'm, I'm 10 minutes from New York city, you know, every, you know, we had so many people going on ventilators and, you know, 86 ended up dying. And it, and, and you hear all these stories about people that were, 
they were breathing. It wasn't like they couldn't breathe, but they were they couldn't get their saturations or oxygen saturations up. And the ventilator helps you breathe, not necessarily gas exchange. Yep. And that's not what we needed. We didn't need as much help on the breathing. We needed help with gas exchange. And that's yep. a that's a that's a very different, different phenomenon than what we've seen with other diseases, you know, in, in our history. And so um people who do hyperbaric understood that when you're in the chamber, it has no effect on your breathing. It doesn't help you breathe better. It doesn't impact your breathing negatively or positively, but the pressure gradient actually helps gas exchange. And so it seemed pretty obvious to people who were in the field that, wait, all we need to do is get their saturations up. If we put them in chambers, we can, we can get gas exchange to occur and that gas exchange should help these people. And there were different attempts in different places, a couple in the U S a couple across the country, you know, the world that I saw. Um, and then, you know, it just, it seemed like it became about other things. And then mm. ultimately it also seemed like the, the intensity of the infection started to dwindle. So it wasn't as many people dying as, as, as quickly as it appeared in the beginning, the early days, like in New York and um, on the West coast in the U S. And so that conversation just sort of like dwindled as many things do. Uh, there were people definitely doing it and, and seeing tremendous benefit. What I would say now is that, you know, it doesn't seem like in the acute phase it's so necessary. Uh, what we are seeing is a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, post-COVID, post-COVID long haulers, continuing to not have good saturations, continuing to not ever get back into the being able to get up the stairs without breathing hard or some neurologic issues, brain fog and tinnitus, mm. hear, hearing loss and so other other fallout from the infection and hyperbaric seems to also be helping. You know, those is that to do with the biofilms and the co- you know, so certain colonies of viral particles still being within the body and camouflaged by that biofilm we were talking about earlier? Or I mean, yeah, we don't know. I mean, uh, you know, viruses tend not to have that same you know issue the way like a lot of bacteria do. But you know, viruses in general have to be quarantined in the body. You know, one every virus you've ever had, you both you'll always have. You know, they live yeah. sort of contained, so to speak. And, and as long as our immune system can kind of keep things, you know, in quarantine that way, we can typically live with these viruses in our body without actually expressing. Um, for, for most people, the whole idea of this novel, right, novel coronavirus, it's this new type of infection. So it's taken a lot longer for people's immune systems to really uh, get that under control properly. There's a lot of reasons I'm sure why that's true, which we won't get into right now. But there are some factors that make the immune system harder to control that and express itself. It also seems like other infections like Epstein-Barr or, you know, other dormant infections are starting to wake up again, because again, the immune system is so depleted. And, and so hyperbaric helps to re, you know, refuel that immune system, get our immune system operating at a much higher level. And then, you know, in many cases that helps to get the, yeah, all these under control. A lot of these viruses are having long-term effects that we think, because we think of, you know, for the layperson, mostly I think if I can speak for everybody on the planet, um, thinks of a virus as you have it, you 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 get shingles, you get Epstein-Barr, you you go through the process and then it's gone. But actually it's in the body forever, as you, you mentioned. And I know with my mum's cancer, it's an EBV Epstein-Barr virus 
cancer. Um, and that was a little bit of an eye opener for me. It was like, oh, so you mean that the, you know, those cold sores and stuff that I've had since I was a kid is actually possibly going to lead to bad things down the line if I don't get on top of it and if I don't stick, keep my immune system ramped up. And we, we're seeing actually, uh, you know, um, in some of the research that's coming out with people who've had COVID or who've even had the vaccinations in some cases are getting uh, shingles and herpes viruses reactivation um, among other thousands of other things, but um, that these things can have a, a, a sort of a doubling up effect. If you like, if the immune system is not at full power, which it's not after you've had. And most of, you know, just being honest, right. Most people walking the planet are not starting this process at, you know, 100%. so, you know, if you're starting at 80% or 75% or 60% and then you're cat, you know, and you have some of these, you know, historical viruses that a lot of people do, that's not such a big deal. And then all of a sudden though, you get, you sort of, you know, really hit hard with something brand new that completely wipes, you know, whatever amount of immune system you have left, we're, we're leaving the door open for these new expressions of old viruses or these new expressions of other health issues that are have the capacity to now show up because what was protecting you, you know, the immune system is, is just so depleted. And so a lot of strategies to rebuilding that, but I think hyperbaric is certainly a big part of that. Yeah. There's a lot of strategies and I'm really excited about things like peptides and all that sort of stuff as well. But um, so, so as a general rule though, if you're thinking about hyperbarics does have the ability to perhaps in some cases improve your immune system. And as you get older, of course, everybody's struggling with a, an immune system that's deteriorating over time. And it's one of the reasons why we get a lot of these things in age, you know, as we get older. Um, so we, it's a good longevity and anti-aging thing as well, isn't it? So for yeah, I mean, people out there wanting that. Uh, the study that came out like two years ago, they were looking at the immune system and they were looking at senescence, which yes, is like cells, cells. Not working properly, basically. Mm. Old cells that are just not replicating and not functioning normally, but not dying either. Yep. And they cause a lot of chaos inside of our body. So, um, you know, this study, they looked at senescent cells and then they, they looked at telomeres. Telomeres are yep. like the ends of your DNA that protect your DNA from oxidative stress. Mm. And in that study, they showed a pretty significant decrease in, in immune system senescence. So it mm. means waking up those old cells and making wow. them better again. And they, they, uh, they measured about a 20% increase in telomere length. Wow. So again, you could, yeah, if you could wake up senescent cells and protect the DNA from oxidative stress amongst all the other things that we've talked about so far. I mean, yeah. From a, and does it increase autophagy? Is it a, you know, a, a, like a senolytic? So it, it, it basically, it stimulates the cell in a way that says either I need you functioning normal or bugger off, or get out of here and we'll replace you with the stem cells that are upregulating from right now. When you start combining things like hyperbaric with other autophagy related you know, so now you're fasting and you're doing keto and you know you're in a five-day fast and i don't know if you do that kind of stuff but like whatever it is now you're driving autophagy now you're driving stem cells and you mix other modalities that also drive autophagy and drive stem cells you know you can get a real a super real synergistic effect yeah, it's amazing. Oh man, yeah, and yeah, I'm, I'm into all of that. I haven't done the five day yet. Can't discipline myself that long, but um, <laughs> all the intermittent we'll fasting. We'll do that together. <laughs> oh, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> 
It, it, but but this fasting and, and understanding, you know, upregulating autophagy and getting rid of senescent cells and some of the senolytic agents that are coming on the market now um, in combination, and I love the synergy effect that this will have. And this is why I'm so excited, you know, with the, with the keto diet and taking exogenous ketones and, and, and hopping in the hyperbaric, and now I'm going to probably add molecular hydrogen after I've done a bit more research into the mix and, and uh, well, you know, at least for myself, because I'm, uh, you know, relentless sort of biohacker experimenter. Don't do this at home, people. <laughs> um, but you do your own research. This is not medical advice. Um, but the synergy of all these things makes me excited for, uh, you know, the, the the fact that we're going to be able to live decades longer with a better life, a better health, a better health, you know, um, health span. Yeah. Not just lifespan, and and if we can, you know, do this before major shit happens, that would be fantastic. Okay, eh? so you know, I'm very keen for people to like invest in a hyperbaric chamber. They're not cheap, but I'd rather have a hyperbaric chamber than a flash car. You know, that's for me. Like, if I'm deciding between, do I invest in in something long term to have a you know a hyperbaric at home, perhaps, or um, get access to one through a clinic or have a nice car, I'd choose the hyperbaric any day because it's life-saving in some cases and it's certainly life-improving in, in most cases. Dr. Jason, you've got a book out. Can you have, you, have you got a copy there? You want to show everybody because this is audio no, and video? You don't have a <laughs> <laughs> um, tell everybody. As far as that, I'm not good at that stuff. <laughs> yeah, the marketing side of it, isn't it a mission? <laughs> What's the name of your book and where pe- people can find the book and where can is, they find uh, Yeah, Oxygen Under Pressure. And it's on Amazon. You guys could order it that way. Um, we're writing, actually, Joe and I are in the process of writing a book together. Oh, brilliant. Uh, it's more of a textbook for people like actually practicing hyperbaric medicine a little bit more, but, uh, but it's going to have a lot of great, you know, details and the protocols and, you know, all that kind of stuff that we use. Uh, so we're working on that. Uh, you know, we do, I, I do a lot of education. So even um, we have a HBOT USA is my main company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we have a YouTube channel also HBOT USA. Uh, Go and subscribe. We have, I don't know, 125. We're going to put out another hundred videos in the next six months. So wow. you know, if someone's out there just, you know, is hyperbaric good for this? Is hyperbaric good for that? I, they're mostly somewhere between four and eight minutes long. And I'm just trying to like answer the questions I get every day. Uh, in short segments so that people could really learn a lot more about, you know, this tool and how it works and just, you know, trying to dispel all the myths, all the things that have gotten in hyperbaric's way from really becoming what we know that you and I know that it could be, you know, it's because people don't understand it properly. And so, you know, we're really working hard to try to eliminate as many of those myths and misconceptions so that ultimately people you know, can see through that and, and start to understand how to. Well, I'll be subscribing right now because I didn't realize you had that as well. <laughs> and so everyone go and subscribe on the YouTube channel. Start listening to Dr. Joe Dutturi and Dr. Jason Summers on this hyperbaric. Get the book, read it, visit uh, your website. So hbotusa.com. HBOT beaning hyperbaric oxygen therapy for those who don't know HBOTUSA.com um, is there anything that you'd like to add to is there anything that's exciting you in the research currently that's perhaps not not fully baked yet but um, that you're 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 really excited about at the moment or anything else you want to yeah, add I mean, to the conversation? I think the, the next big question the overwhelming majority of research has been done at the higher pressures you know oh yeah and, but 
you know, I've been using lower pressure hyperbarics as long as I've been doing hyperbarics. So, you know, we do, we've always done a mix. And clinically, people who use hyperbarics see benefits at all pressures at different times for different things. Um, but we've never had great research comparing those. And so there is a study coming out from uh, University of Wisconsin in about a month or two. Um, that was a like a soft chamber study specifically on stem cells. That Fantastic. Really I can't reveal what it says yet, but it's pretty epic. Um, the research that I'm doing for my PhD right now is actually to compare soft chamber and hard chamber, like lower pressures, higher pressures. And we're looking at the cytokines, the inflammation. We're looking at the methylation, so the epigenetics. We're looking at telomere length. And so we're actually, we're looking at cognitive function. So we're actually looking at all of these pieces and we're just doing, you know, lower pressure settings, higher pressure settings, putting people through to see, you know, which pressures cause which changes at what period of time. So we could really start to understand and, and get those protocols even more specific. So that's, wow. that's like literally all of that will be in the next like six to eight months, hopefully. Yeah. Wow, that's massive. Because um, yeah, the, the whole epigenetic expression that changes over time, and this is why people like they, they go and they have one. You know, like when I had a clinic, um, I've sold it now. But when I had a clinic, I was had you know people would come in and they'd have one, two, three sessions, and they'd go, "It's not working," and leave. And I'm like, "Oh, you know, like <laughs> it takes a lot longer than that for the for the real." juice of the you know results to come out and understanding because with the with the you know we only have mild hyperbaric chambers we we need the research around the mild because most people are only going to get access to the mild they're not going to get access to once you know we can't do 388 you know it's just not going to be doable for most people so far more research around the lower you know 1.3 1.5 atmospheres would be so beneficial uh, and then and, and what you said about understanding the epigenetic changes um and in your book just briefly before i let you go um you were talking about at some because i'm into epigenetics in a big way um intergenerational toxicity i was just like wow Oh, that's uh, that's a new word for me. Then you know that that whole understanding that what you do is going to affect the next generation and the next generation. So um, that's a whole nother, probably another hour's conversation. And it's you know it's it's important because just because you love epigenetics, I want to talk about this real quick. And it's, it's sort of hyperbaric, but not really. But we've always, especially with fertility, we've always focused on sort of the mom, right? Yeah. Like what's going on with like egg quality and all these different things. The, the cellular epigenetics gets wiped out twice in our life. It gets wiped out when, let's say for you, when your egg is first made, and then it'll get wiped out one more time when that egg gets fertilized. Wow. And for men, it gets wiped out when the sperm is first produced, and then it gets wiped out again when the egg is fertilized. And what's interesting is, is that uh, a woman's egg, a woman is born with all the eggs she'll have. And in a lot of ways, the epigenome around that cell reflects what life was like when you were born. A man, his epigenome of sperm cells are created every 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Forever, every day. And so the epigenome around sperm cells is much greater environmentally, a much greater reflection of current status, what's going on in the world right now. And so you, what really what happens when an egg is fertilized is there's some amount of the epigenome of your history with the epigenome of current, you know, especially like in terms of environmental changes, you know, current status of life versus, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago's yeah. life. When those come together, the combination of those two epigenomes is what ultimately, you know, 
comes to life in that fertilized egg. And so there's a real interesting, as far as like intergenerational, but even just in your lifespan, the amount of changes that those epigenetic components really ex- are exposed to and ultimately mm-hmm. what, that, what that, you know, developing baby will, will show well, up. So if a, if a baby's exposed to something, say like mum smoked or dad smoked or both smoked, um, so so for example, in my case, um, my mum and dad back in the day they thought smoking was healthy. No no no, not on them. They were told by the doctors it's great, <laughs> great. <laughs> um, they smoked right throughout my pregnancy, and, and you know, so I I had asthma as a child and was you know in and out of hospital and very small lung capacity and so on and so forth. Is that the sort of thing you're talking about? Like that? We so can't say we yeah, we can't prove it yet. No, we can't. Story, right? But yeah. would it make sense that you you know you are exposed to an expression of your genetic code that says, yeah. hey, you know, we have to be protective of all of this airway pollution. Right. And so you had this restricted airway issue. And at the same time, you could have made different choices in your life that allowed you to reteach the airway how to express a healthier version of itself by hormesis. Yeah. Yeah. Through training so, and exercise. And blah, blah, blah. You know, we have, we're, we're first in, I'd say, the infancy of understanding how the complexities of how those epigenomes come about into the developing you know, baby. But then I think that's the next step would be to say, OK, now that we know what you're sort of predisposed to what are the steps you can now do throughout your lifetime because ultimately if, yeah, if, we made, right, if we made really great changes through that and then we decide to have children at some point we may not have to pass down the intergenerational toxicity right we wow. can actually turn things off or on depending which way they're going and yep. actually create a, a new uh, epigenetic expression for for the next generation yeah, because otherwise, you know, you'd think that a generation after generation would just get weaker and weaker. And like, and just my mind boggles when I think, you know, the thousands of chemicals now we're all exposed to, and then we and then we put in drugs and vaccines and all sorts of things into the mix, unknowingly affecting our, epi, our germline, our epigenetic, our genetics, and then passing that on to the child who then may have other issues that pass on. We just, and the, and the thing is, like you say, we're in the infancy, we just do not know. And we're just mucking around, <laughs> um, not understanding what the heck we're doing as far as, um, you know, everything that we do is influencing it. Dr. Jason, you've been absolutely epic today. Thank you so much. I could talk to you for bloody hours, I think. Um, so, you know, I'm really, really yeah. grateful for your time. Um, and, and I can't wait for you and Joe to bring that, that study out and that textbook out. <laughs> I, I have to get a copy of that for sure. Absolutely. We'll keep you guys posted for sure. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Doctor. It's of been course. absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Take care, Lisa. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com.